Well, good morning. It is so good to have everybody here today. It is especially good to have all the kids here today. Let's give the kids a hand. You know, in this church, we love kids, and we're just so thankful to have them, and we're so glad that you are all on this service with us today, and that's one of the main reasons I have to uh, pay attention and keep it short today, even though I always have so much to say. But, um, you know, uh, I love the fact that, that kids um, were here and able to, to communicate uh, the story of Jesus coming to this earth, and I am just so thankful for that. That's actually one of our main goals with kids is we want to help kids to know who Jesus is and actually to see the world through the view of truth that we get from God's Word. And so that's our commitment. It was interesting. Somebody uh, called me today, uh, this week actually, not today, but they were just saying, like, what's the purpose of your church? Why does your church exist? And um, I told them that our secondary reason is that we really want to love and encourage each other and be a blessing and be a help to each other. That's our second reason for being here. It is to care for each other, to reach out to our community. But the number one reason that we exist as a church is to help people know who God is and have a right relationship with Him. And over this uh, Christmas season, you know, this is kind of a, a church holiday. We celebrate the coming of Jesus, the, the person that our calendar is based on, the most significant human being in history. But what made Jesus so significant is that he was more than, a, more than a man. He was God in the flesh, and he came to make a way for us to be saved. And that's the thing that we're most committed to, is that we would help people have a right relationship with the Lord. And that's actually what Christmas is about. We've been studying Genesis, and in our first week in December, we talked about the fact that Adam and Eve sinned, and that caused the fall of the human race. And when the human race fell, God came, He had told Adam and Eve, don't eat from the tree. And when they did that, it created a problem. And everything wrong in this world, everything wrong with you is because Adam and Eve sinned and you inherited sin. Everything wrong in the world is because when Adam and Eve sinned, the world broke and things now go wrong. Instead of having a perfect world, we have a sinful fallen world. And one of the first things that happened, you know, God, God goes to Adam and Eve and says, hey, uh, what happened? Did you eat from the tree? And, and then when he's pronouncing judgments, the first thing he does is he curses the serpent and Satan. And before he even says anything to Adam and Eve about their sin, he promises to send a Messiah. And that's Genesis chapter 3, first. 3 verse 15, the very beginning of the Bible, God promises to send a solution to the sin problem of the world. And that's actually what we celebrate at Christmas. And then in Luke, the, the, what we did the next week is we looked at the Gospel of John, which actually theologically explains why the birth of Jesus is so significant. I mean, kids are cute, right? And babies are cute. We all love that. And the Christmas story would be a really cute story if it was just about a baby. But what makes the Christmas story so amazing is that it is not just a story about a cute little baby being born in the manger and Joseph and Mary and all the things that happened in their life. It is a story about God taking on human flesh. And then uh, the, the, the Gospel of Luke tells the story of the shepherds and, and tells a story of how Jesus took on flesh 
And in Matthew, which we're going to read that account today, it tells about the wise men. And that is because Jesus is a man. Jesus is God. But Jesus is king. And that's how Matthew presents Jesus. And so he is a king to be worshipped and served. And so we're going to be looking at that. And, and basically, we're going to see four quick things. And yes, they're going to be quick. Uh, four quick things today. And that is that Jesus fulfilled uh, promises and confirmed all the things that God said about who the Messiah would be. Uh, Jesus will be worshipped by some. And that's true in this room. We have people in this room that worship Jesus. Uh, Jesus will be hated or ignored by others. And that is also true of people in this room and people in the world. There are people who hate Jesus and there are people who ignore Jesus. And the final thing that we're going to see here is that when you are a child of God, um, God is able to take care of and protect His children. And that is true in this life, but most importantly, that is true in eternity. And that's one of the things we do need to think about this life, but we need to be mindful of eternity because eternity is something that every single one of us will face. So let's jump in here and go quickly, and I'm going to mainly read Matthew. So let me start by just telling you a little bit about Matthew. We're going to look at uh, verse 18 through 25 uh, quickly. But the first thing is that in the book of Luke, Luke presents the humanity of Jesus, and so it, ex it explains his genealogy from Mary. And it goes all the way from Adam to Jesus, and it shows that Jesus was a son of Abraham, which was God promised the Messiah would come through Abraham, that he is the son of David, and that Jesus, the Messiah, would be the descendant of David. And then it traces from David to Jesus through Nathan, Nathan, the son of David. And that's because that was Mary's line. And then in Matthew, it presents Jesus as king. And so his gene genealogy was written to the Jews, just went from Abraham to David, to Jesus, and it shows that Jesus was the son of David through Solomon, and that's his kingly line. And so Jesus was legally the king, and humanly he was also a descendant of Abraham and um, David. And so let's look at this. Matthew 1.1 just says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then verse 18 starts the story of what happened with Jesus. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then this is a key verse. You know, everything about the Christmas story is actually about salvation. It's why Jesus came. And it says this in Matthew 1.21, she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. One of the things that we learn in the book of Luke is that everybody who believes in Jesus has the right to become a child of God, to be called sons of God. And, and that is an option that everybody has. In one sense, 
Everyone is a child of God in the sense that God created mankind, and we all come from God. In fact, Acts chapter 17 talks about that, that everybody has their life from Jesus. But there is a unique way that you can be a child of God, and that requires you to recognize who Jesus is, to recognize that you have a need, and that is that you're a sinner, that you're separated from God, and that you, are, you will face God's wrath for that sin. But God sent Jesus to reverse that, that you could be a child of God, and that is why Jesus came to save the world from their sins, to save His people from their sins. And that is the significance of the Christmas season. And then this is interesting, verse 22, it says, "...all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet." Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. You know, one of the things that you learn is that everything that God says is true, everything that God says is reliable. You know, the stories in the Bible about the birth of Jesus, um, those are not just stories, they're not just made up, those are historical facts. And the Bible is full of prophecies that were fulfilled. In fact, many people, when they read the Bible, uh, critics, uh, skeptics, people who say, oh, this isn't true, I don't believe the Bible, they have these huge problems because the Bible makes all kinds of prophecies that happen way before these things actually take place. And so people go, well, this book couldn't have been written then, and they try to change the dates of when books in the Bible are written, which you can't do because you can go back and figure out when the books were written. But people try to change the dates that the books were written because the prophecies are so undeniable. One of the things that you think about when it comes to the prophecies about who Jesus would be. So there are over 200 prophecies about Jesus, and they got this mathematician to take just eight of those prophecies and do the calculations. What are the chances that this would take place about a person, these eight prophecies? Not all 200, just eight of them, and of those, these are the statistical chances. I won't even tell you the number because it's hard to think about it. But if you took the state of Texas, which if you've ever driven across the United States, that's a big state. It takes a long time to get across that state. So if you took a guy, you blindfolded him, dropped him into the state of Texas, but before you did that, you covered it with silver dollars two feet thick. And there was one silver dollar painted red. And you just told this guy, just go in any direction you want and stop whenever you want, blindfolded, reach down, pick up a silver dollar. The chances that that person would pick up that silver dollar the first time are the chances of just eight prophecies about Jesus being fulfilled. So there is, I mean, what, what God has done, and, and just think about the fact that a virgin birth, we know that doesn't happen apart from God's intervention. And so um, Jesus fulfilled not just eight, but over 200 prophecies. And that's because God pointed out and identified, this is going to be my son. This is how you're going to know who Jesus is. The second thing that we're going to see is that Jesus will be worshipped by some. 
and uh, often Jesus isn't worshipped by the people you'd expect. You know, do you have any idea how many people are raised in church from the time they're young, they're taught about Jesus, but just in their life, they don't worship Jesus. They just decide, no, I want to be in charge of my own life. I'm going to ignore all the things that I've learned, and I'm not going to worship Jesus. Often, the people who should worship Jesus don't. And that's one of the things we find out in this story. And God is so gracious, and He's so good, that He reaches out and He saves people that are far off. Some, I think about myself. I think about the story of so many people I know that God reached out and saved. And let's look at this story, chapter 2. It says, Now Jesus, after He was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is He who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw His star when it arose, and we have come to worship Him. Now that's a crazy thought. Wise men. You know, Jesus was a Jew sent to the Jewish nation. They had the Jewish Scriptures. And you think to yourself, where did these wise men come from? And uh, if you've read your Old Testament or you've heard any stories, anybody hear a story about Daniel in the lion's den? One of the things that we find out, by the way, what's known of the wise men is only known here in the Bible, only things that we know for sure. And so there's a lot of mystery surrounding the wise men, but the word for wise men is magi, and it's only used in Daniel, in Matthew, and once in Acts. And it's about, it's not just wise men, it's magi, which is a title of people. Now, if you remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream and he calls his wise men. These are advisors to the kings. And often, they would be a part of identifying who the next king would be. And he called him and he said, I had a dream, and I want you to not only tell me my dream, uh, I want you to then also tell me what it means. And the wise men are saying, Nebuchadnezzar, no great king has ever done that, has said, you have to tell us the dream and the interpretation. Just tell us your dream, and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he's like, no. I want to make sure that what you're telling me is true, so you tell me the dream and the interpretation, and if you don't do it, I'm killing all of you. And so this order goes out, these wise men are so upset, and Daniel finds out about this order to kill all the wise men, and he goes to Nebuchadnezzar, and he saves them all by telling him his dream and giving him the interpretation. And then Nebuchadnezzar makes Daniel the chief of all the wise men. And so Daniel, as the chief of the wise men, I'm sure taught them about who God was. And for all these generations, these foreigners had been waiting for Jesus. And they saw the star, and they show up. And all the Jews... And the religious people who should have been aware and waiting weren't. And we learned from Luke that there were some faithful people waiting for Jesus. But that's the story of the Magi. And so it says, it goes on, and it says in verse 2, uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
That's one of the things that we're going to find out is that Herod is one of these people who actually hates Jesus. And there are many people who fit into that category. The religious leaders ignored Jesus. There are also many who fit in that category. So then it goes on in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and to ascertain from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may come worship him. You know, Satan lies. And people who follow Satan lies. And when Herod said he wanted to worship Jesus, that was a lie. He had different plans. Verse 9, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Verse 11, and going into the house. See, these wise men, when Jesus was born, they saw a star. And often we see the wise men in the nativity scene. I loved the way that they did the play when they said, and it's going to take us a long time to get there. It took them a minimum of three months to get from Babylon to Israel, and more likely up to a year. And so when they show up, it says here, it doesn't say they found the baby in a manger. It says that they found him in a house, and uh, the child was with Mary and his mother. And so this is like probably a six-month to a one-year-old child that they show up to his house. And this little baby, it says that they fall down and they worshiped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So these wise men took a large journey, and it took them six months to a year to show up. And when they showed up, they found Jesus in a house, probably similar to this. And the other thing, we don't know how many wise men there were. People always say three because there were three gifts, but it's very likely that there was a whole caravan, that there were plenty of people that came along with them to guard them. Uh, these were very important people. And uh, they uh, brought him gold. Gold is a symbol of nobility and authority. Uh, one of the th- like, what would you give a king? You would give a king gold. One of the things we find out from the family of Jesus is he was born into a poor family. And we know that by the offerings that they gave when they took Jesus to the temple. And so this was not only something that would honor Mary and Joseph and honor Jesus as the king, but this gift was also something that would provide for them. Frankincense. You know, frankincense is an expensive, beautiful smelling incense. And it's used for the most special occasions. So gold represents the fact that Jesus was a king. The frankincense expresses his deity. We see that this is used, this, this incense is used in temple offerings and, in, and also in some royal processions. And then myrrh. Uh, myrrh is also a perfume and in, in lists in the Old Testament Listen, in the Bible, it shows up as gifts that people would bring, something valuable, something important. But myrrh is an expression of the humanity of Jesus. Um, it's something, by the way, that is a medicine or can be used as an anesthetic. Do you remember when Jesus was being crucified and they offered him myrrh to ease the pain? Um, myrrh was also something that was used to embalm Jesus. So these gifts represent 
not only the fact that Jesus is king, not only that he is God, but they also signify his death. You know, the wise men showed up, they fell on their face, and they worshiped Jesus. By the way, that is the right response for every single person when it comes to Jesus. And as believers, that's what we've done. This is what the Bible says about believers. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You know, becoming a Christian, recognizing who Jesus is, is important. But part of that personal response is to say, Jesus, in light of who you are, I will dedicate my life to worshiping you. And that's actually what Jesus calls every Christian to. And, and for me, as a kid growing up, I knew all about Jesus. I believed everything about Jesus. But for me, I was unwilling to worship Jesus. So worshiping Jesus is about seeing and understanding who He is. But it is also about the decision to bow your knee and to follow the King of the universe. So some people worship Jesus. We also find out that Jesus is hated or ignored by others. Matthew uh, 12, 30, Jesus says this, whoever isn't with me is against me. One of the things that you discover when you read the Bible, and it says this in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 21, it talks about the fact that God has supernaturally put a knowledge of himself inside of every person. So there is no person on earth, and this includes you, um, whether or not you believe in God, there is no person on earth that deep in their heart does not know that God is real, that He is true, that they are sinners, that they are separated from Him. Romans chapter 2 says that when people instinctively do the things in the law, you know, it's interesting, why would we believe that murder is wrong? Almost every culture you go to, murder is wrong. Uh, you, when you think about where do moral values come from? If there is no God, there would be no moral values. And yet, when you look across the world, you find in a sense, though it's polluted, you find a universal sense of right and wrong. And of course, that does get polluted. But the reason that people share common moral values, like, for example, that murder is wrong, is because God has written His law on every human's heart. By the way, that is a gift that God gives every person on earth. And there are people that are afraid of death. There are people that are afraid of what will happen to them after they die. And by the way, that is a legitimate fear. Everybody should be afraid of death and what comes next. Um, that, is, that is something that God has put in us, and we should have that. And uh, the Bible tells us that God's written that in our heart. But did you know that it takes a supernatural gift while everybody has the capacity to believe in Jesus. Only with God's help will you decide to put your faith and trust in Jesus. The Bible tells us that too. Which, by the way, if, if you have Christian family members and friends, they are praying for you. And the reason that they pray for you, the reason they pray for your salvation, is that apart from God's help, though you have the capacity to believe in Jesus, you won't do it. Um, I think about the man in, in, um, in the book of Mark who comes to Jesus and he's asking Jesus to heal his son of, a, of being demon-possessed. 
And he just says, Jesus, if you can help, help me. And Jesus looks at him and says, if I can help? And then he says, anything is possible for the one who believes. And this man cries out to Jesus and he says, I believe, help my unbelief. So he cries out and he says, Jesus, I want to believe in you, but I also need help. And one of the things I would say to you, if you're sitting here today, if you're not right with the Lord, if you have not put your faith in Christ, um, I would encourage you to pay attention to those nervous feelings that you have, those thoughts that you have as you think about eternity. Don't ignore those. Don't suppress those. Don't push those away. You know, you can train yourself to ignore things. You can just convince yourself to believe things that aren't true. And what I would say to you is don't do that. Instead, ask God to help you. Ask God to help you before it's too late because the Lord gives us this life to make a decision about Jesus. And so that's, a, that's something that God helps us with. Um, and then it goes on, and it says that uh, in verse 12, it says, being warmed in a, in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is talking about the wise men. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. He said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose, he took the child and his mother by night, departed to Egypt, this is Joseph and Mary, and he retained, remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. Isn't that amazing where Jesus would be born, the fact that he would go to Egypt, that he would come back from Egypt, all these details God had laid out. And then it says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. So he figures out, you know, Jesus is six months to a year old, and he just says, go kill every kid under two. Man, the hard-heartedness of people who hate Jesus. And then what was fulfilled was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation, Rachel reaping for her children, for she refused to be comforted because they were no more. You know, the Christmas story is so wonderful. It's so cute, this little baby. But we live in a fallen world with lots of problems, uh, lots of difficulty, lots of pain, sorrow, suffering. One of the things for us to all keep in mind is this. Um, every time you do anything wrong, you should be reminded that there's a God in the world and there's sin. Every time you suffer, as you age, as you're getting older, Every single time that you go to a funeral is a reminder that there are consequences to sin. And so as we age, that's meant, as we suffer in this life, that is meant to point our attention to God. And here's one of the things I found, is people who embrace Jesus as they go through difficulties, as they go through trials, as they go through suffering, they cling to Jesus for help and comfort. When you've suppressed and you reject who Jesus is, every difficulty, every suffering that you face as you age, as your body is breaking down, people hate God for that. So for a person who's hardened their heart against God, they hate Him for all the suffering in the world. 
For a person who thinks rightly about God, they embrace God and the redemption and the forgiveness and the blessing and the care. That's one of the things that you read in this Christmas story is that God didn't stop all suffering. For those little children in Israel, what a terrible, tragic thing happened. But Jesus and God immediately took every one of those kids into heaven. There's not a single one of those kids that wished they were still on earth. If you could go to them a week later, they'd all say, I am so glad I'm in heaven and I'm not still on earth. I think about that with Lazarus. You know, Jesus went and raised Lazarus from the dead, and everybody was rejoicing probably except Lazarus. You know, could you imagine you're in heaven for three days and somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, Lazarus, you got to go back. And uh, for Lazarus, man, he wanted, I'm sure, wanted to be in heaven. And so God, in the midst of this difficulty, saved those kids and blessed them, um, even though that was an earthly, wicked tragedy. And, and for Joseph and Mary, God, in the midst of that suffering and difficulty, preserved and protected and cared for them like He does every child of His. So God always saves His people. Let's look at verse 19. It says, when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go. Uh, go to Egypt, and um, rise, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. This is afterwards. He's telling him to come back. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he arose, and he took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in the city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Like every detail of the story of Jesus' life, God predicted in advance. He said, this is exactly who he's going to be. This is when it's going to happen. This is how it's going to happen. And by the way, these prophecies mentioned were all mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, do you know that the Jews, and we have evidence and proof that the Old Testament was completed before the life of Jesus? And there are some people who would say, oh no, that must have been copied, that must have been written later because, you know, we know that prophecies can't happen. But all of these things, there is historical proof and evidence that they were written long before these events actually occurred. By the way, things Jesus had no control over. It's not like Jesus as a little kid and as a teenager and as a young adult read the Old Testament and said, how can I go fulfill these prophecies? Because so many of them were related to things that he had no control over, things that happened before he was born. Like there is no doubt that these things are true. One of the things I want to just encourage us all about is that Christmas is a wonderful time to worship Jesus in your heart. Uh, that's for us as, a, as, as Christians. We want to make sure that we're not just celebrating the fun, the food, the family at Christmas time, but that we're genuinely worshiping God. There is no better time to invite others to worship Jesus. You know, one person said it this way, and I would ask you to consider which, where would you put yourself on this list? One person said this, the Magi were seeking the king. Herod was opposing the king, and the Jewish priests were ignoring the king. As you sit here today, every single one of us does one of those three things. 
And uh, this, is a, this is a season that each of us get to decide what it's going to be. Are we going to worship? Are we going to oppose? Are we going to ignore? And uh, not only does that affect your life on this earth, how you go through the things that God puts in front of you, but that decision will impact your eternity. And that is something we all need to be mindful of. It's my prayer that you will enjoy all the food and fun of Christmas. If you're here, I hope you have a great time with your family, that you experience all the earthly blessings that there are to have in this season, and that you are loved by the people that you spend time with. But my greatest prayer is that you will not leave this season, that actually you won't leave today, that you won't leave this service without making the most important decision in your existence. And that is which of those three responses will be yours. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for today. For those of us who are seeking you, who worship you, God, we thank you that you have forgiven us, that you have saved us. Lord, that, that we don't deserve salvation. We're all sinners. We all have all kinds of problems. And that's why you sent Jesus to live a perfect life that we couldn't live so that we could get the credit for the life that he lived. And Lord, that you would allow him to die on the cross for our sins. And that as he hung there on the cross, you punished him for every sin that any of us would ever commit. And God, I thank you that you've made a way where we don't have to earn your salvation. We don't have to be good enough. We just have to look to you and see you for who you are. Or we have to make a decision to follow you in faith. And that, God, you will forgive us, that you will give us credit for the life of Jesus, or that you will apply the forgiveness to our life, our sins, past, present, and future. And that, Lord, this life would be a life that we can live with confidence and trust in you. Lord, no matter what difficulty or challenge we face, Lord, we know that you protect and care for us through the midst of all of it, and that eventually we will be in heaven with you for all eternity. And so, God, I pray that you would just bless those who know you. Lord, for those who hate you, who have hardened their hearts and who shake their fist in your face and who refuse to acknowledge you, uh, Lord, I pray that you would soften those hard hearts. Lord, that you would soften them, that you would help them to repent. We think of the Apostle Paul who hated you and killed Christians, and yet, God, you saved him. And Lord, for those who are just preoccupied, and they think about other things, and they're not your enemies, but they ignore you in their life. God, I pray that you would give them a sense of the urgency of knowing who you are and being right with you. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your grace, for your kindness, for your goodness. And Lord, I ask that you would bless every single person in this room, in this season, but most of all, for all eternity in your name. Amen.